as a contemplative practice uh, in this time uh, while we are journeying, journey, making this journey through this text, I suggest a practice called natural meditation or effortless meditation. In the Zen tradition, it's called shikantaza, just sitting. And yeah, we are going to explore this practice. Uh, if you're interested, yesterday I gave a talk in Copenhagen um, on a bit more information or pointers to the practice of just sitting. It's on my SoundCloud profile, so you can listen to it. It's called Natural Meditation, that track. But just sitting is just sitting. Yeah. It's a practice of not practicing. It's a practice of relaxing the grasping as radically as possible. <clears throat> so it's just sitting relatively quietly comfortably and giving you the permission giving you the permission to do nothing with a certain alertness and just noticing what you're noticing allowing your attention to flow where it wants to flow and allowing that which is flowing in the field of your experience to flow where it wants to flow. So it is a radical just being here. Neither grasping nor pushing away. If there's thoughts, there's thoughts. If you're tired, there's tiredness. If there's sounds, there's sounds. And then when you notice that you try to do something, you let go of that, like a fist opening. You can sit with closed eyes or open eyes. You can sit on the couch. You can sit on the park bench. You can sit in the train. You can lie down. And what we can really appreciate in the practice of just sitting is that we are doing it together. So there is something very beautiful in being silent together with others. And no pressure. So there's nothing to do for you or you can't do this wrong or right. 
So it is based on a deep trust that there's nothing wrong with you. Just sitting is also an appreciation that this moment happens. It just happens by itself. Thoughts come and go, feelings come and go, sounds come and go. You don't need to add to this. You don't need to take away anything. It's just aliveness, as it is. So in the practice of just sitting, you are meditated. So let yourself be meditated. In the same way you are breathed. Just sitting is a receptive way of being. It's just receiving what is. Receiving sounds, receiving thoughts, receiving feelings, and receiving stillness. And in this practice of just sitting, we can reach out to the people who sit with us now online. But we can also reach out to all the people who are right now sit in silent prayer. In the presence of the Divine, just like us. In the practice of just sitting, you're never alone. If you feel awkward or uncomfortable, that's fine. If you feel peaceful, that's fine. Let everything be okay. Let everything just be as it is. Just sitting is a surrender. You are being surrendered to life as it is. You surrendered to aliveness. <coughs> thinking is okay. Just recognize that you are thinking.
your mind goes to the breath, to the breath out of habit, that's okay. Just don't make it a breathing meditation. If it is a breathing meditation, naturally, effortlessly, that's beautiful. Is there stillness here? Could you allow yourself to find a place of rest in the midst of your experience, just resting? Non-interfering, non-controlling, non-fixing. Let yourself be surrendered to spacious aliveness, to the suchness, the as it isness of this moment. This moment happens by itself. And the awareness of this moment is effortless. You don't need to focus on anything. Just let it flow.
if you wonder if you're doing it right or if you have a debate if this is meditation or not, that's just thoughts. That's fine. It's just thoughts. They don't mean anything. If you wonder what's the purpose of this, it's just a thought. If you you feel restlessness, tiredness, it's just thoughts. And thoughts are allowed because they are happening. They are, and then they are gone by themselves, self-liberating. Nothing is excluded. How deep is your yes? How deep is your yes? Let everything happen to awareness, to presence. To knowingness. Let everything happen to the inborn capacity to receive. To receive what is. what I'm saying are not instructions, but invitations.
And if you space out or you carry it away, that's fine. Just notice that effortlessly. The practice of just sitting is goalless. There's no goal in the trying to get somewhere. You're just here in the most simple way. Just being here, just being yourself. Feeling your feelings, thinking your thoughts, hearing what you hear. Sensing what you sense. So then, towards the end of our first just sitting, again the question I asked in the beginning, a bit of inquiry we add to the practice of just sitting. Who are you? when you're not referring to thought, when you're not referring to memories, when you're not referring to mental images. Who are you? Who are you prior to any arising? Rest there. I don't get this, it's just a thought. The name is just a thought. The challenges, problems, it's just a thought. It's fine when they are happening, but you don't refer to them. Who are you if you're not referring to thoughts, memory, words, mental images? They come and go, they change. Really. Rest there. Inhabit that place, which is not really a place. 
inhabit that mystery. Of not knowing who you are. Of not finding yourself. And again, who are you without referring to thoughts? What happens in you when you hear that question? What comes forward? Are you without referring to thoughts, memories, names, mental images, projections, stories? Why are you without referring to time, to place, which are all thoughts? Look there and inhabit the mystery, not knowing what it is, not being able to describe what it is. This is my uh, suggestion for the contemplative practice, um, and we will explore this further, also with the help of the text. So to find a, a balance between the practice of just sitting, shikantasa, doing nothing, the practice of not practicing and a bit of inquiry, a bit of vipassana, a bit of koans. So koan, this tradition in the Zen tradition, where the master asks question, questions which the conceptual mind can't answer. The purpose of this question is to kind of quieten the conceptual mind, to blow it into pieces, 
So the questions of inquiry, they are not questions which are meant to bring us into the conceptual mind. They are invitation to look. So when I, when I ask, who are you in this context? It's not like picking up a psychology, psycholo- psychology book or a philosophical book or memories, or, but it's an invitation to look and to be curious of, of your response to that question. Not the response of the conceptual mind, but it, a deeper, a more intuitive response. So the inquiry questions, they lead into not knowing, not finding. They are supposed to make us speechless. Because when we look into who we are beyond our fears, beyond our concepts, beyond our names, beyond our memories, we don't find anything. There's nothing there. But what a nothing. And a, a nothing which is the end of seeking, which is the end of suffering. A nothing which is love. Unconditioned love. Essence love. And also these are just words. It's not really love, not in the sense, you know, we understand love very often. It is the ever-present good. It is the great okayness. It is the great completion. The great perfection. So if you have a meditation practice or a yoga practice or a Tara practice or so whatever, uh, that's wonderful. And the possibility is to add a little bit space either before the practice or in between, break it up a little, or at the end of just sitting. Which, for example, if you do some body work as as practice, is a beautiful thing anyway. So you do your yoga practice, whatever it is, and you add this five, ten minutes of just sitting in the aftermath of the moving. If weightlifting is your practice, wonderful. So weightlifting is your practice. It's a beautiful spiritual practice. But you add this five, ten minutes right there in the fitness center, still having the weights in your hand. You're just sitting in the aftermath of what is for you after weightlifting. Not adding, not taking away, not having a goal to feel better or feel different. Just like that, the most simple way of being in that moment. If walking is your 
spiritual practice or running or biking or whatever. So you take that five to maybe 20 minutes to explore just sitting. And then slowly, slowly, we will add some inquiry questions into this. And hopefully, one or two of these inquiry questions which we will find in the text, or will, which I will success, will, will resonate with you. And here, resonate with you, I'm not meaning you as the mini-me, you as the narrative self, but resonate with you as your true self. Yeah. Next time I will leave some time for questions. This is um, important that we get into dialogues around this. It could be that a part of this now, or something which could happen while we go deeper into the radical message of the Great Perfection, is that you feel a bit of a paradox or a tension between the progressive methods which you have learned and which you have benefited from and the direct path methods, the discovery that the experience, not, not just the belief, but the experience that you have everything available in, the, available in this moment to be complete, to be at the end of seeking. So there is a bit of a seeming paradox between those two views, also in the Tibetan tradition. And the direct path model is often very is often viewed as a kind of heretic teaching, even in the Tibetan tradition. And uh, so so much so that there were times in, in Tibet that monasteries who, who hold the direct view and were practicing the direct view, the view of the great perfection, were destroyed by the majority of the progressive path practitioners. There was a historically there was an important debate the 8th century or something in a monastery called Samyaling between these two views the direct view and the progressive path view nobody won but the king at that time decided that the progressive path view 
was the right one. And the direct view was banned. So it is still a bit like that. And so it's not only like a historical tension between the two. Probably we will also experience that tension. And as a conclusion for today, I want to read something from Ken McLeod's commentary around this. Sometimes, when what is arising for me is overwhelming, I find met methodical, methodical path practices give me something to work with and thus help me to stay in the experience and not fall into reaction. Yeah. So sometimes, when what I'm experiencing is overwhelming, what are your practices in situations like that? Yeah. progressive path methods, kind of working with that. For example, doing a tire practice in a moment of grief. For example, doing a tongan practice in a moment of fear. For example, doing a grounding practice of yoga in a moment of despair. So, exploring the direct path doesn't mean that we kind of throw all that skills away and say, okay, that's just doing, that's trying to fix, that's trying to con uh, control. That, and, uh, and it's true. I mean, doing practices like that very often come out of the intention to feel better, to, to, to change the situation, to get out of it. Other times, even when what is arising is so painful that I would not wish it on my worst enemy, I'm able to rely on release path practices, direct pointing practices, doing nothing, just feeling your feelings, being with that feeling, being with what is arising, finding a yes, just feeling what you're feeling not rejecting it, not trying to run away from it, not trying to control it, not applying an antidote except the one of just noticing, just being aware. I'm able to rely on these release past practices and be completely clear and, and at peace in it. So, for Ken McLeod, what he found is, if nothing works, try doing nothing. In the end, 
It is up to each of us to find the combination of practices that works for us and to make that our path and to make that our path. In the end, it is up to each of us to find the combination of practices that works for us and to make that our path. Yeah, so in other words, what I want to say with this is again, rely on to, onto your intuition and find a healthy balance for you between the progressive path methods, whatever that is, and the invitation to trust that everything is, as, is just fine as it is. To trust the capacity, the inborn, undestructible capacity to love everything to death by not finding it. And can McLeod suggest that for him the direct pointing is the accessible movement for him in those moments where nothing else works. Where you have done your Tonglen, where you have done your yoga, where you have done this and that, where you have done therapy, where you have done body work, where you have tried for 20 years to get rid of whatever it is. Uh, but also, my experience is it makes also sense to pr start to practice with the direct path method with the light stuff which is happening. So my tendency is more to rest in timeless boundaryless awareness when it's not too difficult and use progressive path methods when I'm challenged and when I feel I'm reactive. <coughs> So, you need to find your own way in this. You will probably also experience kind of waves in your life. So, that is, that it is how it is for me. Of times where progressive path methods just make more sense you seem to have lost the connection with the possibility to relax in loving what is. It's, it's, it's just not accessible. And then you are very happy to still have the toolbox of the fixing, controlling, manipulating, working with methods 
And as more as you have, better it is. And then there's times where that doesn't make sense. Where you are kind of enchanted by all the improvement projects. And where somehow, out of grace, the direct pointing out instructions are easy. They are just happen. They are just available. 